Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Russell. Please keep your Bibles open at uh, John 15, which we'll be uh, looking at together this morning. As we continue on in our series through John's Gospel, uh, in this uh, last term of the year, where we're, we're reading from John 12 through to, uh, th- through to the end of uh, John's Gospel. And here we're seeing uh, what the life is like that Jesus gives us, life that comes through belief in His name. Uh, Over the last little while, well, for a long time now, I've had uh, this book on my uh, bookshelf, I bought it some time ago, maybe Naomi even bought it, Um, it's called Organising Love uh, in Church. I kind of just like the picture on it, Um, a a jazz trio with a trumpet and piano and upright bass, that looked pretty cool, but like many books, uh, I'm one of those people who have good books on their bookshelf, uh, but never really get round to reading it. Uh, I was on a plane flight this week and uh, that's about a plane flight length for me, uh, so grab this book uh, to read, uh, Organising Love in the Church. And it certainly links in with some of the things that we're looking at and seeing in John's Gospel. Let me give you the first paragraph of this book. It says this, Most of us are familiar with architecture as a profession. If you hope a building is going to serve some useful purpose and it's going to last a long time, you can't just build it, it needs to be designed or architected. Similarly, we think, those who write this book, we think that as we seek to build a Christian community, we won't just love, we'll have to design conditions that make it easier for our church members to love God his people and his world. Churches need social architecture to promote love. That was a fairly new phrase to me, social architecture. Any kind of group, any kind of organisation needs social architecture. And they're saying that churches need social architecture, some organisation to promote love, to do love in the church. Um, Now, we wish living out love in community uh, was organic, that it just happened, that it just oozed out of us and right amongst the group. We wish it was organic, but it needs to be organised. As I've been flicking backwards and forwards through the New Testament, through the Gospels and into the Book of Acts and into the letters that were written, uh, realise how much, even in the early church... I thought I was rid of this cough that's been with me for several weeks, but the smoke has stirred it up again. The smoke from the bushfire, uh, not, not my smoking. There is, there is a cigarette in the mouth of the keyboard player there. Um, that's, that would not be me. I'd be just coughing. I wouldn't be able to do any music. Um, uh, as I, one of the things that I've been noticing in the New Testament of how much organisation that there is there to enable the church to be loving of one another, to be doing love. You might need like to have some flicking around with that kind of little radar on and see some of the things. We're not going to go into that today. Uh, but I found this book uh, quite helpful. It's consumed lots of my thinking this week, so much so I got to the end of the week and I went, 
I've spent so much time thinking about this book and the great things that it goes in and out of the New Testament. Oh, I need to actually prepare some kind of a sermon. I just can't preach on this book. So I had to pack the book away. I've been challenged by it. Um, It's given me lots of practical suggestions for doing church here at New Life that's going to go way beyond uh, what I'm going to share with you uh, today and I'll try and restrain myself from talking about those things and talk about what's in front of us in John 15. That being said, I do want to get very practical today. In this series, we're trying to be a little bit more practical than usual. We're looking at what life with Jesus looks like, not some out there theological concept, but what does it look like in our lives? What's it going to look like tomorrow morning when we get up out of bed and head into whatever God's got in front of us for the week? How are we going to be concrete about it? Lining our life up with Jesus is our brand. It's the thing that we're going to be recognised by. And so along the way, we've been, I've been sharing with you some life plans, like the game plan that a coach might give to their footy player and they'll scribe it on their wrist or tattoo it into their forearm, the thing that they're going to remember in their game plan this week. And so we've been coming up each week with some life plans, We've had Life Plan 111. Tune into the sermon two weeks ago if you want to catch up on that one. Last week, Life Plan One Way. Today, Life Plan L O V E. John 15 calls us to extravagant love. This is Jesus' rally cry to his disciples. Jesus is farewelling his disciples in these chapters as he prepares to go to the cross. And this is not an intimate gathering of Jesus and his disciples singing Kumbaya together or something like that. Jesus is gathering in his combat leaders, his best guys, who are going to be the ones that when Jesus is gone, they are going to lead Jesus' mission. Uh, Next Sunday we're going to see just how dangerous a mission that is. So far we've had extravagant glory, extravagant service, extravagant peace, extravagant service, love. Next week is extravagant danger. And Jesus is gathering these combat leaders, his disciples in, so that they are ready to face the danger of continuing Jesus' mission into the world. And Jesus' rally cry here is that they and us are to love extravagantly. Now before we do any social architecture on love, before Jesus' combat leaders start organising themselves of how they're going to keep doing love of one another and love of those that they're reaching out to, what Jesus helps us to see here and for them to see, before any of that, you've got to be connected to Jesus. Extravagant love for God, for one another, for the world comes from Jesus. To help Jesus' disciples to understand the mission and to understand their connection to Jesus, he uses this very familiar image for them of the vine. They would have seen vines growing all round about the places, anybody who's uh, been across to Israel might be able to tell us a little bit about uh, some of those 
the vine was a common image, but it was also a common image for God's people. In the Old Testament, particularly Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5, if you want to look them up later, Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5, Israel, God's Old Testament people, are described as a vine, a vine that God planted, a vine that God Himself cared for, a vine that He loved, a vine that He looked after. But the story of Old Testament Israel, the story of God's people, is that as a vine, they were fruitless. They were loveless. That's the story of Psalm 80, Isaiah 5. Israel failed. Jesus' disciples were familiar with this image. And so Jesus takes this image and makes it new. In verse 1, He says that He Himself is the true vine. Like Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the living water. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says here, I am the true vine. The vine that has been planted by God, the vine that is new compared to the Old Testament people Israel. Jesus is the true vine, verse 1, and His Father is the gardener. Verse 2, the Father cuts off branches and prunes the vine. He cares for the vine that belongs to Jesus. The disciples are the branches and by remaining connected to Jesus and through the Father's pruning and cutting off, this vine, this true vine is truly fruitful. Follow along with me again, please, as we read verses 1 to 5. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see here, Jesus is the true vine, God the Father is the gardener and the disciples, those who belong to Jesus, are the branches. Now, what is it here that the Father does? Jesus talks about the Father doing two things, cutting and pruning, two different things. First of all, there's pruning. Pruning is trimming back a good branch to make it even more fruitful. Trimming back a good branch to make it even more fruitful. Now, Jesus doesn't expand any more on it here, But we see across the New Testament, later into the New Testament, of some of the things that God does do for His people to make us more fruitful. Most of all, through trials and suffering, through hardship and loss, 
God promises that through those things, the good branches, the good disciples, though they are pruned back, God promises that through that He will strengthen and grow us in faith and in character so that we might be more fruitful to the glory of Jesus. Uh, in almost every house that Naomi and I have rented, uh, we've had rose bushes. Uh, one house we lived in, we had, we were kind of house sitting, and so we had prized rose bushes. Uh, roses have always uh, scared me a little bit. People talk about pruning them, but when it comes to pruning, I just kind of prefer more of a haircut, cosmetic haircut. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at killing plants, and I don't, I don't want to completely uh, kill the roses. Well, this year I decided to go all out. I, I decided to try one of those things like the super-duper rose um, growers do, and, and I went hardcore with the pruning. Uh, th- this is not actually mine, but... Um, I didn't take a photo at the time, I should have Instagrammed it and all that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I went that extreme from something that was growing up over our back veranda area and over the lavender and the rosemary. I, I took it right back and I thought, this thing's never going to live again. That, that nothing is ever going to come out of this. And in the last couple of days, it's exploded. It's a good rose bush. It's got good fruitful branches and as the good branches have been pruned, what looks hard, what looks like a winding back has become even more fruitful as they explode in our backyard. Now some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Some of you are just going, nah, some of you are back with me. Um, Don't prune your roses heavy right now, Um, now's not time but maybe next year, give, give it a go. Well, God, the Father, as the gardener, does pruning of Jesus' disciples, of the good branches. Through trials, through suffering, through loss, God promises to strengthen, to give new growth, to make us even more fruitful to the glory of Jesus. But there's a second thing that God does as the gardener, it's cutting, removing fruitless branches permanently. Not so that they grow back, but so they don't become a hindrance to the rest of the vine. So they don't bring in disease and contamination and reduce the fruitfulness. Jesus talks about this in verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. This is not pruning, this is cutting off. This is Judas. This is Judas who has turned away from Jesus and has not joined the disciples in mission for Jesus but has gone out against Jesus. He is cut off. Cut off are all who will turn away from Jesus. Now this is a heavy truth because this is talking all about fruitfulness and how can it be that cutting off a dead branch is a good thing that brings glory to Jesus? And when it comes to our rose bush we can go, oh that cruddy old dead branch but when we think about people, it's it's somebody in my family, it's people that I do funerals for, 
perhaps people among us, friends that we know. Disciples who have become dead branches. We feel the weight of that. And in the context of this passage, it's talking about when God does that, it creates, it, it's to His glory. Now, I find that a little bit hard to get my head around. And this is the best that I've come up with so far. That somehow, somehow in eternity, somehow after Jesus returns and we are fully conformed to His likeness and we have the full perspective of eternity, somehow at that time, while I will carry a sadness, while heaven says there is no tear or that kind of thing, I think there is still a sadness there to know that this person and this person did not persevere in the faith, did not persevere in following Jesus and was a dead branch that was cut off. There will be a sadness. But somehow, in having God's perspective on eternity and all of that, there will be glory, even more so that comes to Jesus, and I'll be able to understand that. While we're thinking about this, you've probably heard the slogan, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. On its own, I want to say it's not a very helpful slogan, on its own. We need to know this one alongside it. Once saved, always bearing fruit. Once saved, always bearing fruit. It's what Jesus says in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Once saved, always bearing fruit. This is the mission for Jesus' disciples. As he goes to the cross and beyond, Jesus is the new and true vine and the disciples are branches who are bearing fruit to the Father's glory. Now, what does this fruit look like? If you have a look in verses 9 to 13, pay attention to the repeated word. What's the word that comes up again and again and again? It happens to be highlighted in my Bible. That's really helpful. Three times in verse 9, twice in verse 10, Ah, oh, not in verse 11, twice in verse 12, once in verse 13. You got the word? What is fruit? It's love. The fruit is love. It is planted by the Father, it blossoms in Jesus and it flows like a sap through the disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. This is life that is lined up with Jesus and His glory. This is the life that comes through belief. John has written these things down so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we have life in His name. 
And this is life that is good, life that goes on forever, life that starts now. See verse 11? I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is not miserable and lousy, this is a good life, life that is lined up with Jesus. Extravagant love is the life and mission of Jesus' disciples. It's what Jesus' disciples are recognised by. It's what makes them stand out. A couple of weeks ago, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you belong to me. So do you want to know what Jesus' will is for your life? Do you want to know why Jesus has reached down into this world, into the mess of your life, and chosen you and brought you to belief? It's right here in this passage. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. It's a command, it's an instruction. Let's keep going with it though. Greater love, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me. Jesus' disciples did not volunteer for this mission. They didn't think, he's got a good vision statement, I'm going to sign up for that. This is an impressive guy, I want to go after him. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And this is what I appointed you to do. This is my will for your life. This is my mission for you. This is what it looks like to be part of me. Verse 16, to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus' will for the lives of his disciples, Jesus' will for our lives is to bear fruit, to love like He has loved. You know, sometimes we can think as Christians, as being in the church, as going, Christians should be loving people. <laughs> and, 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 and we want to be loving people. We'll get to it one day. We'll, we'll do it on our good days. Here Jesus puts it front and centre on the mission. This is the night before He was to be arrested and tried, and then nailed to a cross, which was his, to His glory, and the thing that He is rally crying, His combat leaders to, is to love. Guys, love, love extravagantly, love like I have loved you. Over the last couple of years, I've started coaching AFL, junior AFL, just little kids, they won't let me into the big league kind of stuff and I love it, I really love it. I am actually not that good at sport myself, I'm fit but I'm not good at sport. Um, Never really played ball sports when I was a kid or a teenager Um, so that whole strategy thing I don't know much about but I love helping teams be a team. Uh, One of the courses that I did for coaching uh, last year was um, uh, presented by the Canberra Demons Kneeful uh, coach, uh, Cade Klemke. And one of the things that makes him stand out as a coach in the NEFL and, and coach full stop is how hard he works at growing a healthy environment at 
organising or doing social architecture uh, in his team. Now, this is his coaching purpose statement. To empower players to become leaders in their environment by serving and caring for one another through love. I was sitting in a footy club room when I heard Cade say this to a whole bunch of footy coaches across Canberra. Everyone looked up from their notes. Everyone kind of went, huh? Some guys started to protest. Um, That's just airy-fairy nonsense. Some of us were just kind of, tell us more. I was quite impressed that he was a community leader in sport who was, I think, understanding some of the stuff of the gospel. So somebody did. Um, speak up, an ex-AFL footy player who was about this big and I was kind of sitting behind him trying to look around him, he's going, love? What place does love have on a footy field or in an AFL change room? What do you mean by love? And Cade, who's not a very big guy, that, that's him standing up there, he looks this guy in the eye and he says, love is concrete and love is practical Love is laying your life down for your mates. At that point, I thought, this guy can't be just a footy coach. <laughs> As it turns out, yeah, he is a Christian and he's a part-time pastor for one of the churches here in Canberra. Uh, a wonderful guy. Love is not airy-fairy. In the church, in our families, in our workplaces, in our friends, in our community and reaching out to the world, it is not airy-fairy, it is something that captivates the whole of our lives and it is concrete and practical like Jesus has done, we love. You see, being connected to Jesus is not a mystical connection, it's not about an inner peace. It's a mission to love extravagantly like He has loved us. So let's talk about how to get extravagant with love and how to organise love Thanks Doug Let's talk talk about how to get extravagant with love and how to organise love here at New Life As I said earlier on from reading that book I've got uh, lots of things going on in my mind about social architecture Uh, for new life but for now let's come up with a game plan that we can each put in place today. Let's call it life plan L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E. I'm going to give you uh, one word for each of those letters that will help us to put into our game plan our life plan for loving extravagantly. Here's the L, you might like to jot them down, take a photo of the screen, oh here we go so you can see them. Love, L, labour. L-A-B-O-U-R, not O-R, uh, labour. Love, it is expressed in labour. Doing practical stuff for others. Making meals while other people are sick. Helping one another move house when you can't afford a removalist. Babysitting so a young couple can spend some more time together. Giving a lift to people in our congregation who who don't drive or no longer drive so that they can get to church and small group and appointments. 
putting out chairs on Sunday morning that other people get to sit on, taking a turn at New Life Kids, checking up on your neighbour to see how they're going, being that person at work or at school that does the jobs that are not theirs or nobody else's, you know, tidying up, being someone who helps carry things, noticing when others need help, a whole bunch of things, love expressed in labour is doing practical stuff for others and sometimes it's inconvenient, sometimes it's costly but this is what makes love extravagant. L, labour, O, open, open. Love is expressed in being open to others, welcoming them into our lives and to our friendships especially being open to unbelievers and welcoming them into their lives, not just knowing of them, not just having them on our radar, but making them part of our life. Uh, So as we have a birthday party, whether it's your own birthday party or a birthday party for, for children, open it up to other people. Open up and invite people to have meals with you. Open up going to a trivia night at the club and connecting up your different friends, whether it be watching sport, the curry with a twist event that is coming up at the end of November. Make it a work event where you invite colleagues along, not just coming along with your family or coming along with people from church that you already know, but opening it up to other connections that you have. Now, each one of us here have different capacity for friendships, but each of us could stretch to one more in being open, and this is what makes love extravagant. V, verbal. (coughs) Love is expressed in speech. The New Testament talks about speaking the truth in love, which is encouraging, correcting, rebuking, having meaningful conversations with one another about lining our life up with Jesus. And so talking about our work, talking about money, talking about how we do marriage and our struggles, talking about relationships, talking about parenting, sharing with one another our thoughts on negotiating conflict, political engagement, talking to one another about doing church well. Now I know it's more comfortable to talk about trivial things. I could talk about brass bands and jazz trios and AFL coaching all day. That's comfortable. It's it's even a little, it's even quite comfortable to talk about the abstract themes of the gospel. But to talk personally and direct with one another, this takes extravagant love. Last one, E, eat. Love is expressed in eating, one, eating with one another. <laughs> yes, that is what I wrote down. Uh, particularly, but it need not be, sharing in one another's homes. Think about how you do Sundays. Can you invite people over for lunch? Or for dinner? Are there opportunities to catch up midweek? Having a meal together before small group time? Is there somebody else who works in the same area as you that you could catch up with them for lunch? Have breakfast with somebody else on the way to work. Go out to the club for dinner. 
don't even have to clean up but invite other people to come along and join in with you go on a picnic now it need not be Instagram worthy (laughs) and I I think one of the things that puts us off in sharing food with one another inviting people into our homes maybe this is a a Canberra foodie thing is that we 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 feel like and perhaps we feel a pressure and an embarrassment about well is it good enough that they should take a photo and Instagram it well I can't prepare something like that I can't put out Vegemite and cheese sandwiches yes you can (laughs) let's do it differently You see, church and small group and youth group is often something that we go to. Uh, But belonging comes for us when we meet at other times. This is extravagant love. Well, I thought that would happen. I would say far more than I've got written down. And we need to finish up. Although the children are probably going to be a little while before they come back. We want to be lining our life up with Jesus. When we've been brought to Him through belief, when we come to life, life lined up with Jesus, life lived for His glory, life belonging to Jesus is a life of love, a life of extravagant love. So this week, how about this be our our game plan? Life plan L-O-V-E. This week, create an opportunity for extravagant labour, serving someone else in something practical. This week, create an opportunity to be open, to be welcoming someone else a little bit further into your life, extravagantly. This week, create one opportunity to be extravagantly verbal by having a significant conversation with somebody else about living your life lined up with Jesus and eat with somebody. In, in, organise, create an opportunity to eat with somebody else. That's our life plan, L-O-V-E. And Jesus says, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. Through this, God will bear much fruit to the glory of Jesus.